Welcome to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. You are now entering a spiz-free zone. No unicorns, no rainbows, no chiropractic fairy tales, just progressive talk for progressive chiropractors. So buckle up and get ready. We're moving the profession forward. And now, your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. Welcome, everybody, to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. I'm your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. Um, this podcast is brought to you by the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. You can check them out at forwardthinkingchiro.com. The Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance is putting on its first ever convention called Forward KC because it's being held at Kansas City. Cleveland Chiropractic College was generous enough to be a host to our event. Uh, this is going on June 1st through 3rd. You can also find out more about that at forwardthinkingchiro.com. Uh, the website itself uh, does have a membership option. And if you want to check out becoming a member of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance, not just the website itself, but uh, I mean, not just the Facebook group itself, but the website, which uh, produces content, not just this website, but other contents and articles and blog pieces uh, and has other benefits for its members, including a membership map. Uh, and referral sources and, and other things like that. Uh, please check that out. And um, uh, But first and foremost, uh, one of the things I've been doing with this podcast is slowly introducing uh, many of the speakers that are going to be presenting at uh, Forward KC. And uh, for those who don't know their names, who have never heard of them, uh, or who have never understood what message they have to bring to the table and why they've been put together. Hopefully, this podcast has these this podcast has collated a lot of those names and a lot of their words. Um, but we're going to do a two for one here. Not only am I going to be interviewing today a speaker at Forward KC, but we're also going to be launching the podcast's legend series, where I interview legends of the profession that are uh, undoubtedly. Uh, have had tremendous impact on the chiropractic profession uh, and continue to have impact. And I want to get their words on my digital file uh, as soon as I can so that we can um, uh, get these, uh, these words out to the evidence-based chiropractic community. Our guest today is Dr. Len, Dr. Leonard Fay. Uh, I don't have a, how can you put in a distinct in, succinct bio for somebody who's been uh, involved for more than 50 years in this profession. So I don't have a, a talking up. What I'm going to do is say, hello, Dr. Fay. Hello. It's a pleasure to be here. And why don't you tell me your, and tell the audience your origin story. Tell, give me a history of Len Fay and chiropractic. Okay. Uh, well, as many know, I had rheumatic fever as a 17-year-old. I spent three months in bed taking aspirin and drinking soup and uh, wasn't doing very well when the MD told who visited weekly told my dad you know 42 percent of people kids with this die and 85 percent of the survivors have heart trouble and that frightened my dad and he used to go to a chiropractor on a regular basis he had a heavy lifting blue collar job and uh, that chiropractor visited with his table, adjusted my upper thoracics while I was prone, and uh, lifted me back into bed. And the next morning, my joints were half as swollen, half as red, half as painful. 
and three months later I was walking and uh, able to play tennis and uh, that winter I played hockey and even though I had been preparing to go into chemical engineering I uh, decided I wanted to be a chiropractor but I had a an awful uh, fear of the reputation of being quacks so I asked my uh, my home teacher in grade 13 as you know at parts of Canada you have five years of high school getting you ready for university and um, he said oh you got to meet with me I'll take you and introduce you to somebody that's very close to me and well it turned out it was his son had this marvelous looking little office downtown Toronto we talked about things and he basically said uh, if you want a good education it's there if you want to just pass exams and get through, uh, you can also do that, but you won't know very much by the time you graduate. So that was my experience. I went for four years to CMCC. I listened to so much horseshit. I couldn't believe that I stayed going, but because of my history, I thought, well, you know, I can help people if I, I'm obviously going to have to find out for myself what this is all about. And when I graduated, I was very good at adjusting. We had two hours every day for four years. So I had almost 1,600 hours of manipulation, spine, pelvis, extremities. So I was good at, at the mechanical part of it. I just didn't know what I was doing. And I started, uh, I read uh, Cellier's book, The Stress uh -huh. of Life. Yeah, uh -huh. Hans and it yeah, and it explained that whole sympathetic-driven uh, response to stress and that stress could be in many forms and the body had a, a unique way of dealing with it that was the same, whether it was a bacteria or this or that or the other. And I thought, my God, I wonder if those upper thoracic uh, sympathetic ganglion chain, I wonder if that was all upset and that's what put me into that and when he adjusted me there that calmed down so i kind of had that as my premise to what i was doing and so i started investigating that and uh, my first year in practice was a small town in northern ontario where we were the doctors in town and i saw all kinds of things and the philosophy was uh, if you if you were in doubt you adjusted and that never made sense to me but i saw people getting better from all kinds of different things and then i went to england and made a very uh, fortunate decision i went over to switzerland for their five-day symposium and i ran into the anti-subluxation philosophy and there were people like Illy who had motion x-ray studies of all these irregular movements and dysfunctional movements and the manipulation restored the function and he showed you. And then Gilet was running a palpation course one of the days and I attended that along with one other out of 300 attendees, two of us went to spend a day with Gilet. I learned how to palpate that I should have learned at chiropractic college. <laughs> and. Uh, Grillo and Sandoz and oh wow, they were discussing Gestalt philosophy and 
Grillo was red hot on doing a proper examination, and uh, he spent hours and hours. It was five days of just a complete reversal of what I had learned. Everything when I graduated was a subluxation, and if, how you knew people had it if they were sick, and how you knew you got rid of it if they got better. If they weren't right. <laughs> yeah. So it all, all correlated. Yeah, yep. It it was amazing. Anyways, in 63, the 37 chiropractors in England, most of them Palmer graduates, decided they would open a college and they got the backing of the chiropractic union in Europe. And so uh, being 30 miles away in Southampton, I became a prime candidate to teach there. And they gave me uh, principles and philosophy uh, chiropractic, oh <laughs> chiropractic adjusting, and the x-ray interpretation of bone pathology. So I had three years to prepare, and I thought, oh my God, what am I going to tell these students from Europe that all have a baccalaureate minimum, and a lot of them are going to have a science degree, and uh, I sure can't stand up and tell them about subluxation. So I, I came to the conclusion there were five things we were doing. It's since been uh, expanded, but in those days, it, it, uh, it basically boiled down to the biomechanics of manipulation, the neurobiological mechanisms, the muscular soft tissue, fascia, <clears throat> ligament uh, conditions, and component of patients' problems. Uh, inflammation and all its considerations because we definitely were dealing with people that had inflamed areas and then I worked in uh, Selye's concept of uh, stress pathophysiology as a component that stopped patients from getting better as well as patients that didn't have stress pathophysiology so it became a, a prognostic consideration. And that's what I taught. I, I went with, I had these students for four years. This started in 65 and I didn't leave England until 75. So I had uh, lots of groups that I went the whole way through with. And uh, because I was teaching technique, I went to the literature and I discovered that there was a lot of knowledge about how we learn skills, and how to teach them. So I put that information into effect, and we graduated at the end of four years, people that really knew how to palpate and adjust. They understood the, the mechanisms of what they were doing. They made good diagnostic uh, procedures they learned, and they learned to look at the whole patient from the cellier point of view, of whether they were in stress pathophysiology or not. That became the treat the patient, not the disease component. And that was the philosophy that I taught them. I, I got them to read uh, Kuhn and Popper and uh, understand the philosophy of science and the errors that, that are made by people in logic that are pushing the so-called chiropractic philosophy. And we had a lot of great discussions because these students were from France, Germany, Denmark, 
and they brought in papers written in those languages and they were so keen they interpreted them into english for me to read <laughs> it was a oh i've taught here in the us and i've never met a student that was even close to what their enthusiasm for learning was unfortunately i taught at uh, the cleveland college here in la but i did teach for a year at cmcc and uh, the students there were good but they weren't really really into becoming a knowledgeable expert. And uh, that's where our profession has to go. We have to be seen to be very knowledgeable in those five components I just talked about because nobody else is. And this gives us the right to be autonomous. Right. Just that does sort of collide with the momentum right now as far as uh, uh, Dr. Don Murphy's CRISP uh, cohorts Yes, and and, uh, and uh, clinical reasoning and spine pain and, and sort of this understanding that there, when it comes to low back disorders and cervical spine disorders and a lot of these other ailments that that affect the communities, uh, that there's a supermarket approach to pursuing a, an answer for those. You know, like people will go to a Cairo yeah, or a exactly. or the MD or the yeah. they'll buy a Himalayan salt rock lamp or they'll try a, yeah. a supplement or yeah exactly uh, you know, and there's but we no don't we don't need to be in that position and but there's nothing wrong with specializing in rehab and crisp or uh there's McKenzie no one to go to or, that is the definitive expert in these subjects i mean there yeah. are there's us but we have not yeah. we have not granted ourselves the ability to have the social proof to be recognized as the yeah. expert in the subject. Yeah, and I look back and say to myself, if the chiropractor that got me out of three months in bed had those attitudes and that philosophy, then I wouldn't be around today. And, yeah, well, uh, so I'm, I'm very into protecting, caring for the patient, but understanding we don't cure anybody. And yeah. uh, but we can care and help people have a better quality of life, and we can co-treat with an MD even if they don't know we're co-treating. And uh, the future, I hope, is going to be that uh, they'll accept that we can help people uh, respond better, feel better, enjoy life better. Uh, strangely enough, about seven years ago, I was invited to Cedars Hospital to treat patients that had cancer and severe pain. And I got interviewed uh, by a group of doctors who were very keen to understand how we downregulate pain and things like that. And it, if it wasn't for the orthopedics who were so against the chiropractor just being in the hospital. Right. That they squashed it all. But I got a, a nice letter back from the the oncology uh, head of department saying that they were very disappointed that their colleagues had blocked me from coming in. They were looking forward to seeing the benefits of uh, what, what we do to help uh, dying cancer patients. And that's the philosophy I think is missing now. We don't have to have an idea that we have to cure everybody and we have to make them pain-free according to the literature. Uh, it's almost as if chiropractors want to become 
uh, a research project for every patient. Right. And, you know, we're not treating patients to fill in research. We're treating a patient. A person, yes. Yeah, a, a person. A yeah. That's right. I think, um, you know, when it comes to the divides in chiropractic and, and the sides that argue with each other, uh, there are some, some of those sort of uh, those catchphrases that you hear, like the power that made the body heals the body. Oh, yeah. That's horrible. Yeah, but there's no disagreement necessarily there. It's just used in a really foul way. You know what I mean? Like yeah. The, the the straight chiropractic faction, you know, they they'll they'll trumpet that sort of thing, like the power that made the body heals the body. Yeah. Almost like an attack on evidence. But why don't they know about stem cells and the immune system <laughs> right. and? all these right. things that we used to yeah, it's you know like the inflammatory use that as sort of a spear to chuck at the uh, to chuck at evidence-based chiropractors like we don't understand that the power that quote unquote <laughs> makes the body, heals the body you know it's like that's a given yeah. and we I should know. all understand that we don't cure anything that's that's yeah. another given that we understand there yeah, are exactly. ways we can sort of come together and agree on these things you just have to stop using the rhetoric mm -hmm. as a, as a, a tool to Further that well, it'll only the paradigm shift will only occur one death at a time, right? I mean, there's no way it's going to happen through. Uh, I when I first lectured, I used to empty rooms. I remember once 400 chiropractors in Chicago from the Chicago College uh, alumni uh, annual meeting, and uh, I went back to Ottawa. I was coming down from Canada, and I went to the psychology department, University of Ottawa, and I explained to the guy what had happened. And he said, well, you know, if you had walked in as a Christian to the local synagogue and told everybody they have to become a Christian, they'd all walk out on you. And he said, that's what happened. They've got, they've got uh, pillars, concepts, religious concepts, and and they're they're stuck in them, and they they don't want to shift a paradigm. They want to keep going with their religion, and they even talk about patients have to be believers. They have to be a believer first, and then their patients have to become a believer. And if your patient believes it, then I mean that's so it's like trying to believe in your dentist. You know, it's so ridiculous. And you can't you can never waver in your certainty of what you believe. Which oh, yeah. is the exact ant antithesis to science, which means you should always be yeah. uh, willing to shift your beliefs based on the... the it's fundamentalism, evidence. isn't it? It is, it is. Um, yeah. And it does have a... a you know, they, they used to always sort of uh, m uh, malign chiropractors as a cult, you know? Mm -hmm. but, it, but some of the ways that some of the folks behave, they're not... It's not that far from the truth. <laughs> yeah. You well, once you believe in something that's been proven wrong, then it's a cult, like the Flat Earth Society. We know it's round. If you believe it's flat, you're in a cult. And uh, I used that, to if, you, if you disagree, they'll they will uh, ex they'll they'll ostracize you. Yeah, I'm a I'm a medipractor to my local <laughs> tours and ticks, and I go to things that are at the, that they're at because I have to get my relicensing hours. Right, and, you, guys, uh, you, know, you always got to sort of bump into them, you know. Oh yeah, and it's just amazing. <laughs> well, you know what could be expected. You go to see it. You went from CMCC, you know. That's it. 
I meet that all the time. Same oh, here. Uh, Western States has a, I've been locked out of many, many, when I was a young chiropractor, I was locked out of many, many job interviews just from my, from where I went to school. Yeah. My daughter went there. Yeah. I mean, the great yeah. program, you know? Yeah. They still was. had that, that idea where they were, they wanted uh, to produce clinician practitioners that were passionate yeah. about patient care and evidence. And, yeah, exactly. And we uh, have to, we have all these really knowledgeable people that are unfortunately gravitating to a pain practice. Not that they can't make a good living, although I suspect some of them aren't. Uh, I just don't feel it's, uh, it's the survival of chiropractic. Yeah, you'd mentioned to me earlier that uh, you feel like they're not being taught their true value or, or that they're valuable. Yeah. Or the value of what they have. That's right. You can expand That's on right. that a bit? Yes. Um, you know, adjusting the spine is sometimes secondary to adjusting the locomotor chain where it has faults. And for some reason, chiropractic colleges are not introducing uh, the knowledge we have that uh, the spine sits inside a locomotor chain of joints that all have the ability to adapt to any problem within the chain. So where you're experiencing your pain, it isn't often just the local musculature, ligaments, or inflamed joint that has to be approached. Quite often, you have to do something elsewhere in the chain, and especially if the sympathetics are facilitated, and if you read Core and Anderson followed on from him, and now Brian Budgel and a few others at CMCC are doing research to show that we can specifically adjust people to get a sympathetic uh, down regulation of the facilitation that's occurring. And so this whole response thing is extremely important. And then there's Bosbaum and Levine that showed that the sympathetic stimulation to an inflamed joint continues in the joint into a chronic inflammatory condition. And that works through the norepinephrine releasing uh, PG2 from the local mast cells. And you have this whole cascade that Advil and the NSAIDs break into. And for us as chiropractors, if we don't understand that process, we can be adjusting people where they hurt or trying to do things <clears throat> that removes the hurt. And the big job is left unresolved. And so I think it really behooves the modern chiropractor to not only completely understand what we should have done before after we did our manipulative procedures, which is rehab, exercise, conditioning, proper nutrition, all those kind of things. We really need to be looking at a patient from a neurophysiological point of view, as well as their pain. And this biopsychosocial thing, uh, I'm having a lot of trouble really comprehending just dealing with the psychosocial component and not understanding that the bio component is part of a whole closed kinematic chain. It's not just local to the spot. And so you, 
I, I'm really looking forward to being at, in June and getting into conversation. I don't, uh, I'm easily bent, just show me the literature and I'm quite happy, but don't ignore the literature that I know that should be influencing how we treat a person and not pain. Well, that is, that is, uh, was that Lewitt's quote was the, uh, the clinician who chases the side of pain is lost yeah. in, in yeah. some patient. This is Absolutely. not new knowledge, you know, this is. No, new. I've been, I've been dealing with this since 1965. I've been teaching <laughs> and I read core. I read Levitt. I read Yonda in the middle sixties. I mean, when was the, I was the one that introduced core and Levitt to, uh, Craig Levenstein. Yeah, at the Craig's book is his original. The I think volume one was in the eighties or early nineties, right? Yes. And there was a I, there was already I a was in about the biopsychosocial approach in in a, like volume one of Rehab of the Spine. Well, what is if? And if, he didn't make it up. He just he didn't make it up out of thin air. Yeah. So they must those five components I tell you about. If that isn't biopsychosocial, I don't know what is. It's the first thing I thought when you mentioned him. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that was what I was writing about in 65 and teaching. <laughs> um, but boy, I can coming see to America, yeah, coming to changed, America right? was, yeah, it is. I'm looking forward to preaching to the choir. <laughs> well, I tell you. I think you got it right with the pain science folks that uh, they've really t taken out the bio part of the biopsychosocial phenomenon. Yeah. And, um, you know, folks like. Uh, I mean, I understand some people make up pain. And they have uh, psychological problems, but there's very few patients that we see that don't start with the bio part, and then the psychosocial either is added on because it was already slightly there, or they developed it, or they were magnified by a practitioner who wanted to suck their blood. <laughs> but uh, it's uh, you know we have to get this sorted. I I feel like June is going to be a huge huge breakthrough for the chiropractic profession yeah i think it does what you've sort of talked about i don't know if we talked about it right here as we're recording or off the record but it takes it takes that thing where the young practitioner who is evidence-minded or evidence-informed doesn't have the tools or the ideas of how can i do this without becoming one of them with them being the straight chiropractors and as yeah. having real talk here, the, there, are, there are certain practitioners that are made this day who do not feel like they want to practice like a straight chiropractor. They don't, yeah. it's not that they don't want to adjust only. It's not that they want to prescribe medications. It's not that they want to be uh, 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 amateur medical doctors. It's that they don't want to follow that rhetoric and that rhetoric and that philosophy that you have yeah. to follow if you're going to toe that line of being a straight chiropractor. Um, yeah, plus they, they probably aren't uh, making a professional income, which varies depending what area you live in. But if you can't be doing that, it's, uh, it drags on you, your psychology of why am I in this? I'm so much smarter yeah. and, I, and yet I'm not earning what the, the so-called idiot down the road is preaching and and seeing people over and over i mean i saw a woman the other day five years of twice a week 
and Whoa. she was so blocked in the upper thoracic, she had that T4 syndrome, and the guy wasn't even adjusting her there for five years, twice a week. Now, why would anybody go for five years, twice a week? I don't know. Right. And she was in her early 30s. I mean, it wasn't like, it just boggled my mind. I was on a, a phone call with a, a young doctor or a student who's about to graduate earlier today. And, um, you know, he was, he's concerned because he doesn't know how to do the business aspect of chiropractic. Sure. I said, well, what are you, you going to do? What are your plans? You know, it's just sort of get out of school, go to the small town up the road, um, get a room somewhere and put a table in the room. And then in that one room, he's going to do, uh, you know, rehab and, soft tissue work and adjust and yeah. I don't want to take any insurance in the process and good for him and um, all this stuff. And it was just like this overwhelming fear you can hear coming yeah. over the, over the phone, you know, that's and, right. Um, my advice to him was yes, the insurance stuff. Uh, he, he referred to it as the insurance game. Like, it's not a game. It's yeah. Not a game at all. Um, you can do well in it. But if you're not going to do it, you have to play a completely different game. Yeah. And that game yeah. is knowing exactly what you're worth and what your value is and then charging accordingly. That's right. Putting the work in. But um, no idea. They're coming out of school with no idea how to accomplish any of this whatsoever. Yeah. They're only true. Like, and then they're told they're not, not SAID, you know, specific adaptation to an imposed demand is not discussed right. and they don't understand that uh, for a lot of patients it takes a series of treatments you might get rid of the pain in six or eight visits but you can't change the dynamic function in six or eight visits no more can you build a bicep by going to the gym five times you know yeah. it's uh, it's a principle it should be uh, discussed and uh, they just not. They don't see themselves as doctors. They see themselves as marketers of some something or other. I'm not quite sure what that is, or they know what it is. And uh, a lot of them are doomed to failure. I think we've so. had over two thousand chiropractors leave California in the last two years. Well, quite frankly, California chiropractic is in a state of complete disaster. It's shambles. Yeah, um, uh, I would be. I would venture to even say it's a shithole for chiropractors. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they, they specifically—it's the last bastion of straight chiropractic dominance—is California. Yeah. Like Billy they, DeMoss leads the group. They flew in motivated straight chiropractors and got them set up, and then put them into positions of leadership in the chiropractic chiropractic uh, California Chiropractic Association to progress yeah. that idea. Yeah, I refused to join the CCA. People were bamboozled there. I think yeah. SAID is a very important concept. I think the concept that people need to understand is progressive uh, exposure, progressive loading, and all of these things. Like, yeah, with my even patient, the ones doing rehab are trying to rehab them so quickly. Right, it, it boggles my mind. Right, I mean, how in the hell are you going to change the recruitment order of muscles if you don't do it over and over and over again? And especially when that recruitment order is driven by the function of the joints. Right. So if the, if the joints don't function and are not firing with their mechanoreceptors properly, you've got one hell of a job trying to change recruitment order. 
Hey, uh, here was my big question for you. Yeah. Have we forgotten how to adjust? Or have well, we it hasn't been taught. That, yeah. Have we forgotten how to teach students to adjust? Yes, we have. Yes. Repetition's been taken out of it. And you cannot learn a skill without repetition. And uh, they go and they take cervicals for three months, and then they go to thoracics for three or four months, and then they go to lumbars. When they hit clinic, they haven't repeated any of that, so they don't know what they're doing. And so somebody says, well, look, you can put uh, tape on them, and physio tape, and you can put uh, ultrasound and this and that, and then you can observe how their muscles are working and you can start building up the the soft muscles and get the tight ones to relax and blah 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 and that's all easily done you don't need super skills right so they gravitate to what's easy and then they get out and they find out that society doesn't want that it's called physiotherapy there's tons of them and they're all over the place and they get referred to by MDs. So yeah. we're out of the referral circuit and we've got very similar. I mean, I went to the uh, motor control big convention in Chicago three or four years ago and Hodges got up and, and he said, you know, I wish I could understand instability. <laughs> what is it right well they throw that word around like it's got a fantastic definition and it's a it's a concept and it has it's being used nobody knows whether is it ligamented instability is it muscular recruitment disorder is it weak muscles what is it right and when the head of the movement hodges doesn't know what the hell it is. <laughs> I don't know what, I mean, you got to be working in a clinic where you get a salary and you see people eight or 10 at a time and you generate income for the practice and you get paid your, your, your income, 60, 70,000 a year, whatever they get. But there's nobody going to walk into a chiropractic office and, and just, just do that. There's a few, can, Craig, I'm sure makes a good living at it. And there's a few others, but you know, that's a hard road to hoe. And now you've got a group saying, well, we have to run a gym. Let's take memberships and let's, well, that's another model. It's another model. Yeah. Uh -huh. But it's, uh, it's what I call specialization within the chiropractic model. But oh, if no, you don't yeah. know how to adjust, you're in deep doo-doo. And you know what the problem is with the adjusting, which, like you said, takes repetition and practice. Is yeah. Once, once you're away from your campus, there aren't a lot of resources for uh, finding ways to do repetition and practice anymore. That's right. I have never learned anything once from a continuing education adjusting weekend seminar. Never. No. No, of course not. What do they do couldn't. every time? They just go through a review of positioning. Yeah, I know. And there is no repetition there. There's no advanced learning. No. Um, there's no, no magical ninja way to make yourself a better adjuster. You have to keep practicing yeah. and practicing. Yeah. And you need a visual. Well, that's why I made the DVDs. Uh -huh. you, you need a visual 
somebody you can copy off that's doing it fairly right. And then you review that and you, you practice it, practice on some skinny people who <laughs> presumably have the, the problem. And then when you get so that you're fairly good at that, it's what I call conscious competency. It's called in the world of uh, training skills. You start out unconsciously competent, then you become consciously incompetent, and you practice and practice in your review, and you become consciously competent, and a year or two later, you're unconsciously competent. You can be looking out the window and crack somebody's neck, right? Yeah. And, and those are the levels that you have to take yourself through. When people are consciously incompetent, they quit. That's where quitters quit. So you have to know the steps and you have to have somebody driving you through them. And, and there's very few colleges that do that. Uh, a Jan Hartvigsen had me over in Denmark teaching 30 chiropractors teaching there that have a PhD. Can you imagine that? 30 PhDs in one chiropractic college. And they were, and they were graduating students that couldn't adjust. Right. So, so I went and I spent the whole first morning quoting the literature. And one guy came up and he said, you know, you've blown us away. We thought you were going to say, put your fingers here, stand with your feet there, lean this way, bend that way. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, you're throwing us. He said, we got to change our whole curriculum. We don't do any repetition. And we have nothing to show them where they can visually see it except in the class. So they made they made DVDs and they started building repetition into their course. And at the end, the medical school connected in that university gave Jan a two hundred thousand uh, dollar grant to teach the professors that were teaching surgery how to teach surgery. <laughs> Not interesting great yeah and this is of course what i when i set up the courses at anglo college this is what i did I, you know every day they came in they repeated everything they had learned until it got to be unconscious competency before they graduated and uh, when i left they burned everything i had left and uh, a gonstead guy from denmark took over and they started line of drive and measuring x-ray oh geez yeah they finally got rid of that but it, it left them with line of drive theory which is just nonsense you can't line up and you got to feel the resistance you got to feel where it's blocked you got to feel how it doesn't move yeah, and the lucky thing theory, it was always interesting to me because you know when i was in gross anatomy class i paid attention yeah and the most distinct thing I ever took away from gross anatomy was that every single person's shaped differently. Yeah. And so there's no predictable line of drive. There's no symmetry or any symmetry or anything. You have to actually sort of uh, yeah. feel people out and feel each individual yeah. out. And, and, uh, and where do the forces go? I mean, they right. go down the taut <laughs> ligaments and tendons. It's called moments of force. <laughs> One thing that Stu McGill told me, and it, it, he didn't just tell me, he's told other people, but uh, it sticks with me and I also tell my patients is a, a three-hour principle. It takes about three hours to sort of figure out 
the inner workings of a person and how to really address their conditions and, and yeah sort of make a difference in their condition that's right i prefer I to do it over a few visits hours. yeah give me three hours <laughs> <laughs> what is three hours for a straight chiropractor that's like a year of visits right yeah uh, but yeah, for me, it's, it's, about, it's about six it's about six visits you know mm. right so what what happened then uh, the motion palpation research was so bad. The inter-examiner reliability was so bad. And then uh, Kim Ross came along and he showed that we can't adjust less than three motion units at a time anyways. There's no such thing as specific adjusting. Yeah. So if we get in the ballpark with our motion palpation and we thrust pretty much in the middle of where it is, we're going to affect the whole dysfunctional units, not just the one. So I presented that at a, a Gonstead meeting of the mines. This was the guys that do research for Gonstead. And I explained to them that there's no such thing as a specific L5 adjustment or L3 or L4. Well, I mean, I might as well be talking to the moon. <laughs> you know, that's the difference between uh, evidence uh, influenced practice you have to you have to go with kind of what's known you can't follow it exactly because it's it's under research conditions yeah, anytime in your mind you start saying well, like i that's going to make me change my story and you feel like yeah. you want to resist the information because it's going to make you change your story then you're starting to get into the world of being not evidence-based yeah, exactly. In the world of like of really leaning on your story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, so I really like what you write. I, I know you understand evidence influence and that we can't just follow C RCTs. And yeah, I think a lot of people in this do understand that. I think it was a very important push uh, by the administration of Western states while I went there to make uh, clinicians un, uh, and practitioners and, and chiropractors at least understand how to to digest information and in research yeah uh, they didn't want to make little researchers uh, I don't think anybody from my graduating classes has ever published a paper yeah exactly uh, but uh, understanding how to, to at least digest the information and, and make sense of it was very important yeah it is very important and that's why this FTCA is so important and you're getting people joining from all over the world, aren't you? Uh, yeah, there's there's quite a few international people coming. Yeah. Um, so. See, American chiropractic was frowned upon in Europe and other places. And it wasn't in New Zealand because they were very Palmer-oriented there. But uh, Australia was beginning to break out of the mold, and uh, certainly Switzerland uh, they were the first to really denounce subluxation and uh, start producing information that was uh, important. I we mean, had a I lot a of chiropractors from South Africa, but they don't participate much, so I'm not really sure where they stand in the whole. Yeah. I don't know if they really have a voice. Um, you know, the Australians are definitely developing a voice, and, and yeah, Australia has a it has its own culture of sort of skepticism and being uh, really science forward. 
Yeah. So there, and then it has also a reputation of the exact opposite too. So uh, Australia's turned into some sort of battleground. But yeah, I mean, well, they have a guy John Hindley, who's the the tour tick guy who teaches them how to make a lot of the money. Yeah. And uh, expect a miracle today is his his <laughs> theme song, and. Uh, it's it's really terrible, but he's becoming less and less influential in Australia, and uh, because they have university affiliation, that's they're the producing. Key. That's the they're key. They're producing, yeah, they're producing better and better chiropractors in a in a more open model. But uh, we can't lose the fact that we care for people. I that's I'm going to repeat that a bunch of times. And uh, it's a message that isn't getting through, that uh, we have so much knowledge and information that help people be healthier, not because we turn on innate, but because of all the things that make you healthy. We understand that. And part of being healthy is having a normal functioning mobile spine that isn't irritating the sympathetic nervous system. Right. And uh, yeah, it's... uh, as as and then, Butler and Mosley would refer to that as the protectometer, and uh, <laughs> you know a, a properly functioning spinal column, uh, yeah, is one less thing to raise the temperature on that protectometer. Yeah, exactly. Of many, you know, um, uh, uh, what is that guy? That guy Chestnut. You know, Chestnut's kind of a joke as far as him yeah. portraying himself as a scientist, but yeah. he got one thing right in his book. Their wellness is multifactorial. And yep. we as chiropractors might not address every single factor, and we have to be respective of that. Yeah. And even things like the, Amer- the uh, American College of Orthopedic and Environmental Medicine guidelines, right in their guidelines, if you ever have to justify care, it says right there that a multidisciplinary approach is the best approach Absolutely. To, to care where disability yeah. and acute pain is in, 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 in effect. And it's like, if we just honored these things that we know and we just honored these policies that we know and we did it in a way yeah. where we were patient-centered n equals one uh, yeah. approach to things we would get so much more traction and i think that's why this ftca convention is important because i yeah. did not, i did not invite a single person to speak there who did not have this idea of patient-centeredness and ethics yeah exactly um it's, but what, uh, where's just the future? put what right in it Chestnut put right in the front of his book, subluxation is not a philosophy. <laughs> but they read right that. past that part. You read right past. Don't look at that. You just read past that. <laughs> that's, but, that's uh, I contacted him and he never even replied. That's the funny thing about cults, too. If there's someone who's, yeah. uh, who's, kinda, who's mostly supporting the party line, but they say something a little bit off base, we just look past that. Yeah. Any That's criminals right. in the cult, it's okay, but as long as they stick with the uh, party line, we're fine. Right. Um, so what are, where's the, what's the future? You've already seen 50 years of this. Well, the future is, like when I graduated, there was one guy in my class with a BA, and the rest of them were just fresh out of high school. If you were from Ontario, you had a fifth year of high school doing basic science stuff and getting you ready to understand science and be able to study and and learn scientific facts and whatnot but most of them were had 12 grade 12 and graduated so the power 
that was available to chiropractic, the brain power, right. it just wasn't there. And now we've got so many PhDs in positions, and if we could just get them to understand that it's a caring, a caring profession that doesn't use drugs or surgery, we can help people that have reversible pathologies, and we can help people even with irreversible pathologies cope with their condition better. So it's uh, our patients are really, we have to know what we're doing, and then we have to eventually be seen to be knowledgeable enough that we're, we're making knowledgeable decisions. We're not a religious group. And that's, unfortunately, that's how scientific people saw us. You know, we had crazy uh, premises that weren't supported by anything, and we made decisions on those premises. I mean, what's a basic error of logic if it isn't that? Right. And uh, so as we become more knowledgeable with brainier people and we're making decisions based, like you say, patient-oriented decisions, but not trying to cure people, I think we'll be seen as, as being able to help. You know, I've, I spoke to Rand, to all the directors of Rand about this, and uh, the, uh, the medical director for the government, the something surgeon, I forget what he was called, uh, he got up, he was about 70, he got up and he said, you know, Doc, I just wish you would tell your colleagues so that they could get on board. You, right. They're not against us. They're just against bullshit. Right. And, I think they uh, would want us to be good. They would want, Yeah. not all of them, by the way, but I mean, there are definitely some people who would put up, a, just like the orthopedic surgeons you mentioned earlier, there will always be people who put up some roadblocks. Yeah. But for, as a mass majority, I think they would want us to succeed. Yeah. You know, if a, if a, a family physician seen 50 patients in a day, 20 of them are dealing with some sort of low back pain or dysfunction of the neuromusculoskeletal system, you know? Yeah. Headaches, I think they would all want kinds of things to help them. Yeah. That's the way it is. And just got to uh, cut out the bullshit. Yeah. And we have to keep on graduating people with it that it can think, you know, understand science, understand logic, understand the literature. And have the skills. That's on. That's the part that's missing now. I mean, if I told you that probably one in every hundred chiropractors could adjust the cervical spine from anterior to posterior, most of them think when they push posterior to anterior on the left, it goes anterior to posterior on the right. right. Well, it does doesn't do that, you know. But um, and so if you can't do the adjustments around the three axis of rotation, you're, you're uh, acting as if you're a professional and you've got amateur skills. Right. And whose fault is it? It's the college's fault. Right. Yeah. If they, they were going to be paid to do anything, that would be their one job. At least teach people how to adjust. Yeah. Yeah. Ask for the boards, sure. I get that part, but, uh, and not hurt anybody. That's great. But at least yeah. how to adjust. Yeah, because they're not even taught how to thrust. <laughs> right. They're all pushing, you know, so like a fast push. 
fast. I will say CMCC have put in a force plate and they're measuring older chiropractors that are really good at adjusting. And they're finding out it's, it's one 250th of a second. That's how fast it is. And it spikes. There's no up. There's a, there's a constant pressure before you thrust of about 25 pounds in the thoracics. And then there's an impulse that spikes up and down within almost. And on the students, when they start learning, it's a ramp up. It looks like a bell curve almost. Yeah. The front end of the right. bell curve. Yeah. That's the front end it's of the like bell squish, curve. Squish, 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 go. <laughs> yeah. And uh, in I can Denmark. Tell that when it's coming from a young chiropractor. Yeah. In Denmark, they also had a force plate. And uh, I did cervical, thoracic, and lumbar thrusts. And they all had the exact same spike. And why is that? Because I was trained from 56 to 60, every day I was at college, we went through how to thrust and we practiced the thrust. And when I went back in 76 to teach there, the students had rebelled against that five minutes of practicing a thrust and it was taken out of the curriculum because it looked like calisthenics. <laughs> Because that's what it is, damn it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I tell you, it's, it's, it's like trying to play hockey and you can't shoot. <laughs> um, in, the, in the notes to this podcast, uh, if anyone's listening here, check out the website version of this podcast, and I'm going to put a link to Dr. Faye's uh, DVDs there. Yes, it's oh, a DVD. You. Yes, you, you buy DVDs, and DVDs are mailed to you, and you have to have some sort of DVD player, but that's the way yeah. it is. And yeah, and, and I'm working on trying to get them so that they can stream. Yeah, yeah. Well, for now, you need the people. They need the information by the DVD. Yeah, they do. It's, it's a, they do. good. And then you have to watch it and practice it. You have to. Yeah, exactly. You know, but those um, that have over the years, I've had so many letters and been taken to dinner so many times by people <laughs> that have made way more than a professional income. Never have to sell a thing. Never have to. No side hustle. Con of patience, no hustle. Just tell people what they need, why they need it, and what the treatment plan is, and then be able to do it. Yeah, and, and objectively measure your goals. Yeah. And, and the then goals, give them – Don't make step. the goals about pain. Make the goals about their life. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and they'll all be busy. I mean, I can't – I see myself of turning on a, a bunch of people at, uh, in Kansas City, not because I turn on their knowledge, but maybe just show them how to use it. That it's been to, here the whole time, yeah. Yeah, to be more successful in practice without having to con. We hear this story all the time about some sort of divide or, or that's the way the profession is, the, the con aspect of the profession, but yeah. you have been here this whole time. Um, my mentor, Bill Dallas, former president of Western States Chiropractic College, has been here the whole yeah. time. These people have been here uh, walking this line way before the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance, way before yeah. anyone talked about evidence-based chiropractic. There have been some uh, Dr. Pearl, Stephen Pearl. Yeah. Um, have, they've been in these trenches keeping this. I remember Stephen coming up to me at a course in New York. And I said to him, Stephen, you're so bright, 
and you're so with what you know, go and teach. Don't waste your time in practice. We need you teaching. Yeah. I remember telling him that way back, and, and that's what he did. So He's probably a good listener, too. Yeah. And yeah, he has a nice a, smile. He's a great guy. <laughs> so um, There's a lot that like him. We've got a couple minutes here, and uh, recently something has lit your fire. Yeah. God, I can't believe what patients are, what's happening to them. First yeah. of all, the prolon people uh, came to me and said, we think you would be a good representative to introduce prolon to chiropractic profession. And so I have a little agreement with them. But that aside, the, uh, the research on fasting goes back 20 years. In the first 10 years, they figured out what it did. Stem cells arrive on the third day, your CRP goes down, your triglycerides go down, your cholesterol goes down, your blood pressure goes down, your CRP goes down, and it just has so many health benefits. But they tried, when they found all this out, they tried to put people on a water fast and people couldn't stick to it. So they spent 10 more years at University of Southern California. Walter Longo is the head of the research. And uh, they discovered foods that you can eat about 800 to 1,000 calories a day that trick the body into thinking you're on a water fast. So on the third day, the stem cells arrive. And by the end of the five days, all these other blood markers are going down. And if you repeat it monthly, two more times, it lasts for six or eight months. And so my wife's knee, for instance, which is OA at 80 years old, it's back to normal size. Doesn't pain when she gets up in the morning, she's not limping around. And my fingers have all loosened up. People are saying to me, my God, you're so much more spry. I just feel looser. It takes the fat out of liver, so it detoxifies the liver. It just does so many things. And I was able... That's the only time you can ever refer to the word detox is when you're talking about the liver. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And they've got got pictures of the liver full of fat and then at the end, you know, just liver cells. And uh, the research is phenomenal. And I would love to put the research into a post. And I sent you that information this morning. I don't know how to do that, and I don't know whether I would be allowed to do that. No, I'll get that but, techie for you. Prolon is going. Prolon has put money on the table. They're going to be sponsors at Forward KC. Yes, I got them to do that. So we're going to hear more and more from them. Yeah. Um, and I, I and, personally think it's going to increase every practice by three grand a month. I mean, patients to me, they read the thing and I tell them about it. They can't wait to start it. I've, I've released 90 boxes. And it's minimum, even if you only buy three or four at a time at 180, at 249, you're still making 60. But if you buy enough boxes, you can get them for 160 and sell them for 249. Well, I don't sell them. I prescribe them. 
I think I think we have to stop thinking we're selling them because these are what can change your health in five days like this. And if you have a, a chronic inflammation of the shoulder, we need stem cells to get there, ligaments that are slightly damaged. Without stem cells, things aren't great. And as we get older, we produce less of them, and this just causes a stimulation of them, proven by science. The guy got second prize for and a Nobel Prize in his division. Second prize. I mean, it's phenomenal. This research is real, real stuff. MDs won't do it because they can't sell it over their counter and they can't send somebody to the drugstore to get it. So it's perfect for us. And I have patients that are sending their neighbors in. I mean, it's, it's gonna rege regenerate chiropractic offices that are a little sluggish. It's really exciting. And I, I know my audience, I know there's some people out there with their brains going this, but this doesn't fit with, I don't do nutrition and all this, this. Yeah, this is not nutrition. Yeah, this is a. This is a scientific way to increase stem cells and decrease other markers. My cholesterol went from 245 to 217 in one five day application. I've done the second application. My, my uh, A, A1C went from six down to five. So I'm no longer pre-diabetic. They've, they're just about to publish that it's causing remyelination of nerves in MS patients. But they have to be very careful about what they promise because of FDA. Oh, absolutely. But, but uh, they're, they're just about ready to publish a paper. So we can start talking about this more, and we're going to be able to talk about this at uh, Forward KC. And yeah. you know, my sponsors, the sponsors of that event, they're not just going to be there with a booth. We're going to have them interacting. They're going to be able to present their information. Um, That's great. You know, let's let's talk uh, some real talk about these events, these seminars. Yeah. I mean, the the people who buy a ticket are there to hear the speakers, to help their practices get better. But the real business of putting on a seminar is getting uh, sponsors in front of people and having yeah. those people be a captive audience for their products. So, yeah. And um, not bullshit sponsors, you know, not. I, pu I put out a very specific list of people. I, I am allowed to deny anyone sponsorship if I feel it. We all know that's not the best business practice, but it's the yeah. best for drawing this line in the sand. Yeah. So we're, we're moving in a certain direction. Right. So uh, yeah, we're not going to have any bullshit sponsors. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so so there'd be nobody there with their feet in water, there's turning no, the there's water no, yeah. black. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's none of that stuff's going on. Um, right. uh, huh. Man, this was great, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't hesitate to do this a uh, hundred times with you over and over again. Yeah, but well, thank you very much, and you. I really, really appreciate what you're doing for the profession by organizing those of us that uh, really want to change the paradigm. Uh, you, you guys have all been there all along. I'm just the one who makes the noise saying, let's do this. Yeah. No, well, you have the skills. I'll fall on the sword. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not. It fighting took me that. 45 minutes to get into that. That <laughs> zoom last night. <laughs> I, I'm not fighting this war from the back. I'm carrying a shield up in the front with everybody else. So.
Okay. Um, I look forward to meeting you in person yeah, in me a couple too. weeks. And yeah. uh, I appreciate everything you've done over your vast career yeah. for chiropractic. Thank you. We'll share again. That's right. That's right. Um, you're a hero of mine. So uh, take okay. care of yourself and I'll talk Thanks to you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye now.